Hear the word of the Lord from Exodus 20, verse 16. Do not give false testimony against your neighbor. Hear the word of the Lord from Matthew 5, 33 through 37. Again, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, you must not break your oath, but you must keep your oath to the Lord. But I tell you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, because it's God's throne, or by the earth, because it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, because it is the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head, because you cannot make a single hair white or black. But let your yes mean yes, and your no mean no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. Hear the word of the Lord from James 3, 5 through 12. So too, the tongue is a small part of the body. It boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest. The tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body. It sets the course of life on fire. And it is itself set on fire by hell. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed, and it has been tamed by humankind. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we bless our God and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you for that. I was talking to somebody. We're in uh, commandment number nine, so we're, we're, we're kind of laying in the plane in our uh, Ten Commandments series, talking about ethics. And I was talking to somebody the other day, and they said, I didn't know how interesting it could be uh, thinking through these commandments. It kind of shows this principle of, of meditating on God's Word. You know, when you read something the first time, you're like, oh, that's kind of interesting. But as you sit and ponder and, and think about its various applications, you find that God's Word is, is of infinite depth. It, it applies to so many different situations. And we'll find it would be the same today as we look at this commandment that is commonly uh, like repeated as do not lie. But if you look at the text, it is, it is very uh, much more specific than not lying. It says don't give a false testimony about your neighbor. So we need to dig into what that means. But I'd say this, that one of your most valuable assets is your reputation. Proverbs 21, 1, it says, A good name is to be chosen over great wealth. Favor is better than silver and gold. Matter of fact, no, no matter how much money you have, it cannot purchase you a better reputation. And because, because reputation is, is so valuable, we see that our words about each other matter very deeply. I would say that your words about one another could be even more important than what you would give to one another. Because again, 
reputation. You can't buy a better reputation. See, the, the ninth commandment, it teaches that we ought to speak truthfully about our neighbor and paint him or her in the best light. That we ought to speak truthfully about our neighbor and paint him or her in the best light. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would help us to understand it, that we will be people who are ruled by your word, not by the whims of our, our own desires or, or if we're having a good or bad day, but that we would say we're going to submit to what you say because your word is good. And in your word, there is such life. So give us a posture of obedience as we seek to understand what you are explaining and telling us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, I want you to get this, this uh, commandment clear. It's not simply do not lie, although you shouldn't. Okay, let's make that plain. But it's do not give false testimony against your neighbor. And so we've been looking at uh, what different catechisms have to say about each commandment. And, and in Luther, Martin Luther's catechism, when he says, what does this mean? He says the following, we should fear and love God so that we do not tell lies about our neighbor, betray him, slander him, or hurt his reputation, but defend him, speak well of him, and explain everything in the kindest way. I give some weight to this commandment, because you know, you, you can be truthful and still be mean, right? You can tell the truth in a sinful way, yeah? Some people who are known for telling you the true things are people you don't even want to talk to, because of the way they say it. The tone and how we say and our intentions matter, not simply if what we said is true, but did we say it in a way that honors God and loves our neighbor? See, God cares about the words that we say. Now, now we live in America, but I want you to understand in the kingdom, we don't actually have free speech. You can't say whatever you want to say. Your words have to be governed by what God says. Our speech is regulated by the commands of God, listen, for the common good, for the common good. See, we can either obey the great commandment, which Jesus says is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourselves. We can, we can either obey that or, or, or we won't. But, but this command ought to regulate your speech, and we should ask of ourselves if our words, does our regular everyday speech, does it stand up to the demands of this commandment? Again, the command is not simply not to lie. Oh, again, I say it again. You shouldn't, though. <laughs> but it's not simply that. It has to do with the way in which we use our words and how they positively or negatively affect those around us. It, it gets to the heart of how our words can cause blessing or life or destruction or death. You know, the things about, about God's commands, we, we, we live in an individualistic society, so we always like to individualize what the Bible is saying. But I want you to ponder for a minute that a community would deteriorate if this command were not obeyed. Now, let's go back to the original con context. The original context is this. This is a command about testifying in trial. That's what it's about. This is a command about testifying and trial. And the words that one said, they had real positive or negative impacts. Now think about this. This is true now, but this was a culture in which there was uh, no sound bites, there's no video. It really is your word versus somebody else. 
And, you know, this is a society that, that had the death penalty. So in, in very real terms, your false statements about somebody could literally have them killed. Imagine a society in which we couldn't trust what we say about one another. See, the lives of people hung on the words of others, and, and all of God's commands have a communal nature and are for the common good. It's not, it's not simply good for individuals, although it is, but it's good for the society as a whole, that we would encourage truthful and kind speech because we all have felt the sting of negative and false speech. I didn't say that. Why did you say I said that? Why would you say that about me? Why didn't you come to me to talk about it? We know the sting of that. And the church, the church ought to be a community in which the commands of God are honored. Imagine the witness that that would be. That the church is known for speaking truth in the kindest way possible. You know, I was with my growth group last week and we were looking at Matthew 5 and we were looking at um, the verse, you are the light of the world. Now, I've said this a lot of times. Sometimes I wish the Bible was written in Southern slang, okay? Because you officially can be individual or plural, right? But if you, you want to know, you can look up something called y'all version. Y'all know how to spell that. Y'all from the South. Y'all version, all right? And every time the you is plural, it says y'all. And so we read it in y'all version, and it says y'all are the light of the world. The, the, the witness and the testimony about how you treat each other. That is a city that's set in hell. That is supposed to be an example. It's supposed to be a welcoming place where people go, I, I think that kind of community is what I would want to live in. I want to live in a community in which people care deeply about how their words affect others. Again, imagine a society in which false testimony is common. It would be a society of suspicion. You're afraid to say, what, say things to different people? You know, oh, they could twist that and I could find myself... It would be a society of conniving and self-preservation. And the reality is we, we see this in the realm of polit politicians that paint their opponents in the most negative light, right? It's not simply that I disagree, but you are evil. I would say I don't think they're obeying the ninth commandment. You can disagree without painting someone in the most negative light possible. That is a possibility. See, if this command isn't honored, it, it does and would have negative impact on those with little social power. There's this, this, this book that is called The Ten Commandments. It's helpful, um, but it's where I'm getting some of, some of my information from. But, but what, what he says is, is, is uh, if courts are controlled by money or violence, society will be molded by the wealthy, powerful, and malicious. To be just, society must be shaped by truth, centrally by truthful testimony and just decisions in courtroom settings. Our Luther, Luther says it a little more plain. He says, this command applies to the public courts of justice, where a poor, innocent man is accused and oppressed by false witnesses in order to be punished in his body, property, and honor. In other words, honesty actually protects the weak. It should be our concern that we would advocate for folks to have accurate, honest, uh, proficient defense. 
Because listen, when that is not the case, who benefits is not necessarily only the innocent, but who benefits is the, is, are those who have the money and power to cover themselves. Yeah? So this isn't, this is <laughs> whew, bless you, baby. Uh, <laughs> so this isn't simply a, a, a command that, that involves the individual, but we have to be about people telling the truth have an accurate representation and advocating because I, I have, can I just be real with y'all? Can I be real? I, I done been in court with some people and I done been in some situations where I'm like, I don't know if what's happening to them is exactly fair, but I don't know if they have the means, not, not the truth. I don't know if they have the means to justify the truth. So this is a societal thing. We have to speak honestly, not just because it is the right thing to do, but because it protects the weak. All right. When we get to this chapter, uh, this verse in Matthew, we get this idea that Jesus emphasized honest speech. In Matthew 5, 33, it says, again, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, you must not break your oath, but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. But I tell you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven because it's God's throne, or by earth because it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem because it's the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head because you cannot make a single hair white or black, but let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. Anything else more than this comes from the evil one. So Jesus is commenting on the practice of swearing on holy or valuable things. That was a common practice in his day, but in reality, it still is, yeah? How many people, I swear, are the, 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 the youthful phrases, on God. Think, on God, on God. I'm like, man, I'm, I think you're lying. You might not want to say on God about that, you know? <laughs> you know, swearing on things has at least two negative aspects. First is we actually don't have control over what we swear over. That's the point. That's the point of what he's saying. You, you, you can't even swear on yourself because you don't even know what you're going to do. It assumes a level of control about your life and the situation in which you don't actually have. And then he says the impulse to swear actually tries to cover the character flaw of dishonesty. And, and you know this to be true. And you should do some, if, if, you, if, if you find in your life that you have to say, I promise, I, I promise you, I'm telling, I promise then that means that you have this character flaw of dishonesty, okay? I, I promise you, no, no, if you got to say that all the time, we got issues. Because I can't trust you if you're always appealing to this or that or another. Jesus says that the evil one, that he has to appeal to swearing and untruth to convince others. In fact, Jesus says that it is in the devil's nature to lie. Because he was a liar from the beginning. And Jesus says, if you're going to be lying, you like your father, the devil. Jesus does not have uh, slight words about this. See, we must be people whose lives demonstrate the character of God. From what it says in, in Titus, it says that, that God is one who cannot lie. So, so, so if we will be like our father, we would speak what is true. And then Apostle James, he's, he's Jesus' brother. In James 3, we get this idea that our words can cause great damage. James 3, 5, it says, So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest, 
and the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a word of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Uh, now, I'm getting a little bit older, and I've just seen some people's lives set on fire with what they said. It didn't have to be that way. But their words have built their own grave. Listen, our words have huge influence that we sometimes don't even understand. We think our words are small matter, but they cause great damage. Now, who, who, who remembers Smokey the Bear? Y'all, know, y'all remember Smokey the Bear? Okay, I'm glad. Well, I, didn't, I didn't know how old that was. You know, you know, okay, if Tyler knows Smokey the Bear, everybody should know Smokey the Bear. All right, all right, so, so what, what, what would he go around saying? Only you can prevent forest fires, okay? What was he talking? Now, he wasn't assuming that people are going around burning forests, right? It's that you set your fire, you know, you set your fire for some warmth, and then, but you didn't pay attention to it, and, and you might have gone away, and it got out of hand, and the next thing you know, there's a forest fire. And Apostle James says, that's what our words can be like. Have you ever said something that you weren't even thinking about it that hard, right? You, you, something came out your mouth, and you're like, oh, my goodness. I'd have messed up now. And, and you wish you could pull it back in, but you can't. And the fire is already started and it's spreading. Apostle James says, be careful what you say, because it might start off innocent, and maybe you weren't thinking too hard about it, but it has real damage. Something that is seemingly innocent can have large damaging consequences. That's why James says, like, holiness Holiness and obedience to the Lord is very much concerned about what you say and how you say it. In other words, he says we need some self-control. In James 3, 7, he says every kind of animal, bird, reptile, or fish is tamed as a, and has been tamed by humankind, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. All right, let's just have a moment of truth here. Who here has gotten in trouble because of your words? You ever been there? Okay. I'm glad y'all are honest today. What's, what's, what's interesting about these, these verses is that when you look at them, they're kind of self-evident. There's some verses you're like, I don't know, but this one you're like, well, I haven't seen that play out. <laughs> I know how that works. We need divine help in order to speak prudently. Lord, control my tongue. Tell me not speak in a way that would hurt, defame, disrespect others. Lord, guard my mouth. We need that help. And he continues in in verse 9, and he gets to this point that we need to bless others with our words. In verse 9, he says, with the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing coming out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can salt water spring yield fresh. See, James is pointing out the contradiction of the blessings that come out of our mouth to God and the cursing that comes out of our mouth towards our neighbors. So if we're singing every praises to our God, and then on Tuesday, we're like, forget you. He's saying that's a contradiction. See, those who follow Christ confess that he has changed them 
at the core of their beings. That's what we confess when Jesus says stuff like you've been born again, you've been made new. And what he's saying is, listen, if Jesus has made you new, but you got really nice stuff coming out on Sundays and really rotten stuff coming out, what's, what's wrong with the source? You need to analyze, have you actually been changed? These are some strong words that we would come back and say, Lord, is, is the source in me from you? Or have I fooled myself? Listen, the changed life is evidenced in a changed speech about others. And what's interesting, if you look at the, 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 the scripture, he's not simply saying, you need to be honest when you're talking. He says, you need to bless others. Keep that, let's not just say the truth. No, the standard is higher than only telling the truth. Did our speech bless others? Did it uplift them? Beloved, even if you have something, something corrective to say, you can still say it in a way that is loving. And we have to be careful of this. I don't know about you, but, but, but I, I felt like I've been wrong by some people before. And I find myself talking to my confidants about, like, can you believe what they did? But if I'm not careful, if I'm not careful, my statements about, about true things become curses. And I have to watch my mouth that I'm not speaking about someone, even someone who has wronged me, in a way that I would not want them to speak about me. This is some heavy stuff, right? We, we, we found actually in all the Ten Commandments that we didn't step out the law. Yeah. And that's a problem. But the one who is responsible and, and the fountain of truth, I just want us to remember his testimony about us. Now remember, he said, don't give false testimony. Listen, God knows the whole truth about each and every single one of us. The good, the bad, the ugly. What you did in secret, what you wish you could take back. He knows everything. Every movement of your heart, every negative emotion, every foul thought. He knows every single one. And the reality is that if God were to speak the whole truth about us, we would be ashamed. And we would have reason to be, yeah? I was talking to the, the worship team this morning. We're doing our devotion. We're looking at Psalm 130, and, and the verse says, Lord, if you kept account of iniquities, who could stand? And I said, well, imagine if, you know, one of us was standing here on the stage and somebody was just reading out all the sins you ever did. You wouldn't want to be there. It'd make you squirm. It'd make you feel awkward. It'd make you feel guilty and shamed. But here's the thing. Though God could speak that word of judgment, and be absolutely accurate and true. The words that God speaks about us in Christ are better than we deserve. In 2 Corinthians 5.12, it says, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, there's, there is a, there's a status and a reputation change that is going on in the gospel. Listen, the public testimony about Jesus when he was on the cross is that he was named a sinner. Now, that was a false testimony. We know it was a false testimony. But he got on the cross to take the shame and guilt of our wrongdoing so that when we believe in him, 
and we trust in him, we get this declaration of righteousness over us. What, here's the deal. When you stand before God and you are clothed with Christ, his statement isn't, you deserve to be judged. His statement is forgiven. His testimony about you is that the righteousness of Christ is put on you. His testimony about you is that the life that Christ lived, his sinlessness, that is what I credit to you. So, so listen, though you deserve to have an accurate testimony about yourself, which would be bad, God says, no, I'm going to give you a testimony about yourself that's even better than you deserve. Righteous, clean, love, forgiven, adopted. That's his testimony about us, beloved. Man, the heavenly testimony about us in Christ is that we are the righteousness of God. And in the courts of heaven, the testimony about us is all the good things that Jesus has done in our place. Now, remember the truth. The truth about us is that we are sinful, but the testimony of God about us is that we are forgiven and righteous. What gracious speech. Yeah. He could tell he could tell the dark truth about us and he would not be lying. Yeah. He would be justified in doing it. But even he even he abides by his own commands. Speaking about us in the most gracious, forgiving and loving way. That's his words over you. So if you're in this room, if you hear me and you feel conviction and condemnation and shame, listen, I want you to come to Christ because he got some words to say to you. He has the words forgiven, loved, cherished, adopted. You can trade those words, those accurate words of shame for this clean slate and this righteousness of Christ. So come to him. Jesus is not calling us to do something that he himself did not do. And so how would we obey this commandment? We would obey in this way that we need to be people who diligently guard others' reputation. Again, remember how God speaks of us. If he told all of our dirt to everybody, we'd be in trouble. But that's not what he does. He covers us. He shields us. He washes away our sins. So, so this should cause us to speak truthfully about our, our neighbor in such a way that would paint him or her in the best light. Like I said, you can, say, you can, you can speak the truth and still be a jerk, okay? But you can speak the truth in such a way. Like when, when you're talking about somebody with whom you have a disagreement, one of the things I think is, is am I describing this in such a way that when they listen to me, that they can say that's accurate? Right? Am I if they heard what I was saying and I expressed my disagreement, could they go, well, you, you, you know, that is how I would describe it. Or am I just trying to demolish them? I want to shred their character and I want to drag their name. No, beloved, that's not how we should speak. And what's more is we need to be careful that we don't gossip. Scripture's clear about that. Gossip is a, is a private defamation, if you will. Dragging someone's character. And again, when someone is not even there to defend themselves. 
of speaking of someone who has not had a just defense. We need to be people whose words are accurate and honoring. And they can do, we can do both. We can do both because of our example in Christ. Jesus does, he keeps it real. Look, you sin, but that's not my final word about you. My final word about you is that you are forgiven. And that truth, the gospel, has to shape all of our speech, even with those who we disagree with. Let's pray. Lord, would you help us to be people who speak words of truth and grace? We thank you that in Christ, your, your testimony about us is so much better than we deserve. And it is on the basis of this testimony that, that we can enter into heaven, that we can have eternal life, that we can have peace with you. And Lord, we want to be like you. We want to follow in your footsteps. So help us speak in ways that would honor you. Help us to speak in ways that though we might disagree with our neighbors, we would not seek to strip them of their dignity. We would speak all things with truth and grace. Would you do it, Lord? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.